it's a lot of pressure with you know so much white too in a jumps in a outfit. So I'd be a little nervous looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> right, I think I made our costumes quite nervous too. We did. Make, I want to say over four hundred white, uh, you know, prisoner scrubs. Wow. We uh, we were in that set for many weeks, so we had to make sure that everyone looked box fresh. the Art of Costume Blogcast. I am your host, Spencer Williams, and thank you so much for joining me for another bonus episode. Okay, costume nerds, our Star Wars month is going off. I mean, we just talked about Empire Strikes Back. We have the Mandalorian coming up with some special guests, but it doesn't stop there. Now we're talking about the new Disney Plus TV series, which I absolutely love, Andor. And we're going to be joined by another special guest, costume designer Michael Wilkinson, in just a few seconds here. But first, we have to get into our everyday business of the podcast. So I will start us off with a little summary. Andor is the prequel series to Star Wars Rogue One. In an era filled with danger, deception, and intrigue, Cassian Andor will embark on the path that is destined to turn him into a rebel hero. Diving behind a wardrobe, this series was created by Tony Gilroy and costumes designed by Michael Wilkinson. You will know Michael's work from films such as Party Monster, Sky High, 300, which I love, Watchmen, Terminator Salvation, Tron Legacy. What an incredible film that we haven't yet talked about on a podcast, but I definitely feel like that is in the future. Sucker Punch, Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 1 and 2, Man of Steel, American Hustle, for which Michael was nominated for an Oscar nomination, Batman vs. Superman, Justice League, Aladdin, and Jingle Jangle, for which we did a holiday episode this past season. Wow, what a resume. Michael Wilkinson is the coolest. And without further ado, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we will be joined by the costume designer himself, Michael Wilkinson. episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe dive into the western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from prada you can shop for everything on your agenda whether it's a breezy zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright chloe blazer for brunch find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com I am so excited to introduce costume designer Michael Wilkinson. Hi, Michael. Hey, Spencer. Great to talk with you. It's so nice to finally meet you. We actually did a podcast episode this past holiday season talking about Jingle Jangle. So we've been big fans of yours over here on this side. Oh, fantastic. I'm so glad. Let's (laughs) talk about everything to do with Andor then. Yes, of course. Well, 
Jumping into Andor, seeing your previous work on films such as Tron, Terminator Salvation, The Justice League, Star Wars to me felt like the most logical, natural progression for your career in costume design. Like, when is Michael going to do a Star Wars movie? <laughs> uh, so you're now part of this legacy of Star Wars costume designers. Uh, were you excited, nervous, all of the above? Yeah, I think all of the above. You know, in- incredibly humbled and honored. I mean... When you think of all of the amazing costume designers over the last 50 years that have contributed to the, you know, the iconography of Star Wars costuming from John Mollo, Trish Bigger, Michael Kaplan. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, a lot of my design heroes. So it was wonderful to um, to join that uh, league and to sort of work out what was going to be a take on Star Wars costuming that would really work with the scripts that Tony Gilroy had produced and his kind of particular vision and his way in to Star Wars. What would what would the costumes for that look like that would had, you know, def- definitely touched on the DNA of Star Wars uh, costuming iconography, but also sort of showed the audience as something new, compelling, something they hadn't seen before, something surprising. Draw them in, so yeah. that was that was the challenge that that uh, stood ahead of me. So yes, a little excitement, but also what's like slightly uh, nerve wracking at the same time. <laughs> right. I mean, it's experience only a few people uh, actually truly know. So I'm preparing in this conversation with for with you. I read that you spent a long time actually working on this project. It wasn't just a couple months. I dare say almost two years. Yeah, it was a really amazing experience where we had a, a major world pandemic in the middle of it. So that sort of cut things yeah. up a lot. That was that was unfortunate. <laughs> um, but it was quite a long gestation uh, uh, creatively of this show for many reasons. And so I really had a chance to do what I wanted to do, which was to deep dive into the history of Star Wars costuming. What what did what had all the costumes looked like from all the different iterations from the movies, from the graphic novels, the animation, um, all mm-hmm. of the different sort of wealth of, of Star Wars imagery that had been produced over the years um, and get to know that very well. And then sort of having learned the rules, if you like, I would then be sort of free to break the rules because Tony's writing was so incredibly detailed and nuanced and really quite unusual i think for star wars universe it was very it wasn't sort of built around big action series and sort of um you know sort of family dynasty sagas it really had this very dense sort of layered approach to the all of the characters they were all very well well drawn out in three dimensions you know they weren't heroic all the times they had their good days and their bad days um, so all of these nuances, <laughs> I knew, yeah, yeah, like like a, like all of us <laughs> human beings. So I knew that the costumes had to reflect that too. You know, they had to be nuanced, they had to be detailed, they had to be layered. It couldn't just be like cool for the sake of looking cool and memorable. It had to be, you know, uh, yeah, really well thought out and um, and have a reason. You know, we pretty pretty early on in our design chats, we realized that one of our rules was going to be that the costume choices had to be practical. They had to be character driven, not just sort of ornamental and because things looked great or looked sci-fi and not to sort of fall into that trap, but just really think about why things looked the way they did. Right. That kind of brings me to my next point. And I'm going to bring up pictures now for the rest of this because we need some color. (laughs) 
But what I love about the Andor series and the costumes is actually the realism, something that you don't always see in the Star Wars universe. You know, sometimes it's very over the top and sci-fi, but Andor in its own way felt very real and authentic. But would you say realism and authenticity played a significant role in your process when it came to the costumes? Yeah, absolutely. I think those two words are probably paramount of importance for, for our design approach. And it's something that I thought about all the time. Things looked the way they did for a reason. So, for example, what you've got on the screen now is um, images of Ferrix. So Ferrix was a, a planet that we hadn't discovered before, something that Tony Gilroy created. So it was a community in which I really felt I wanted to know who these people were and what sort of characterized this community is a, a sense of all working together, watching each other's back. They're incredibly industrious. It's like a work planet where they make things, they strip things, they sell things, they get things done. So I wanted to reflect that real practicality in their costuming. But I also wanted to sense, have a sense that there's like any any society, there's just this wonderful diversity and range of people's backgrounds and what they did. So, you know, uh, all of none of the costumes uh, looked the same as each other. You know, there were, there, were, there were teams of people that worked together that sort of had a sense of a uniform. But then within deeper within the culture, there were shopkeepers, there were sellers, there were um, people that made things, sold things. So I there were musicians, they had a whole culture there. So I really wanted to have the audience feel like that everyone was an individual. They all kind of worked together, but they also um, were, you know, doing their, their own thing. So that was my, that was my take on Ferrix and hope that I hope that helped to make it feel authentic and, and real. It did. It felt very immersive. Like you, you know, this, it was Star Wars, but at the same time, it just felt like it was its own story at the same time, which I felt was very important to the series and also what I love about Andor, you know, sometimes good costume design is the costume that blends in with the environment. And so much about Andor, these characters are actually trying not to be seen, <laughs> which is interesting for a costume designer. So how do you approach designing a costume for a character who is mostly in disguise most of the time? Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, our leading man, um, Cassian Andor, in our season um, is someone who is always trying not to hide. He's trying not to um, draw attention to himself. We wanted to show the journey that he goes through visually from when we first see him five years before the events of Rogue One. Then in our show, we are going to build right up to the second before Rogue One. Um, and so in other those years, Cassian sort of goes from a, a younger man who's really trying to work out who he is, what he what his strengths are but at the beginning of the show he's kind of messing up a little bit he's owes people money he's on the run he's kind of like uh, not at all disciplined uh so to you know to show those sort of clothes i wanted to create costumes that were um again kind of layered not close to the body um he had a hoodie that he could like pop up when he wanted to disappear colors that didn't bring attention to him themselves um, a layered thing so you didn't really get a sense of his physique he was just kind of hiding in this pile of clothes so yeah that, that, that were the sorts of design considerations I was thinking about when I put together his costumes and then you'll notice that throughout the season his clothes get a little less layered a little more defined there's a little um, light tailoring that goes in there so you sort of get a more heroic silhouette by the last episode he's in a, a really strong 
sort of full length overcoat, um, which ha- is sort of the beginning of a more heroic silhouette for him. I love that costume. So yeah, that, that was a real, yeah, a really nice journey for him, I think, visually. And two other characters actually go through a similar journey. Uh, I'm talking about uh, Velsartha, Velsartha and Luthen. Both move seamlessly from the upper class of Coruscant into these rebel roles. How do you discuss the creative process and navigate opposite ends of the design spectrum? Because they have to play two different parts, technically. Yeah, well, what what really attracted me to the scripts when I read them was that it, the sense that most characters really are not really showing their true identity they are um they're always they're sort of in hiding they have they have agendas you're not really sure what sure what side they're fighting on um so that's true of both bell and luthan certainly and, and indeed of mon mothma and cassian so all of our principal characters were sort of leading these double lives they were trying to sort of um uh, yeah hide hide themselves from the world so with Vel, um, we see her go from a sort of more militant sort of early rebel fighter where she's sort of joining a quite unruly pack of soldiers that are trying to sort of prove their mettle as um, fighters for the um rebel alliance so you see them hiding out trying to blend in with the locals on the planet aldani so they've adopted the local garb uh which is this very kind of um layered woolly um graphic kind of um, almost tibetan style of clothing but then surprise surprise by the time you get to the later um, episodes you see her in a completely different context and you realize that she's actually from an extremely wealthy chandrillan family she's mon mothma's cousin uh, and so it was really uh, shocking i know <laughs> you're right you're like what the um, so um yeah that was a really to then show that you know she was actually someone of of incredible wealth and resources but who was choosing to channel her energies into this sort of um fledgling rebel movement i thought that was a really powerful um character decision and it was really fun exploring the two or do two different ways addressing and of course you're always looking for way connections between the two things to sort of make sure well it is the same person it is the same character um she doesn't suddenly have other principles or different thoughts about how she wants to present herself to the world so trying to find whether it's a, a color tone or a palette or a silhouette connections between the different personas so there is a level of credibility and uh, sort of authenticity to to those costumes this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Right. That's such a brilliant uh, arc in her costumes just through costume design. I think we need to talk about our title character a little bit. Cassian Andor played by Diego Luna. As we all know, he's been playing this character for a little while now. So I would imagine that this uh, role, this series is very important to him. So was there a collaboration between the two of you and finding the character through the costume? Yeah, Diego is amazing. He's such a smart guy. He's also a producer on the series. So he has this very overarching approach to 
to to working on the show it's not just sort of an ego based like this is my character he's sort of thinking of the right. whole the whole picture but uh he's very he's very thoughtful like every detail matters and i really appreciate and respect that because every detail matters to me too so uh in a fitting it's not just this is what i think you should wear there's always lots of interesting discussion about what a particular scene is about what we're trying to say in any scene and how the costumes can help you know highlight the themes or um a certain side of the character whether it's like a choice of fabric or silhouette or shoulder line or um the sense that he's made an effort to look a certain way in a certain scene or whether you know he's lost everything and nothing matters anymore and that's reflected in the costume all of those little details are, are discussed in our fittings and um i think you can really tell on the on the screen it's he feels like a real person it's not just the sort of a um something that's straight up the workroom table off my design sketchbook and onto a right. there's kind of layers of details and distressing and things that hopefully help it feel real right really help him feel the character again which because you know been a little while since rogue one so it was yeah. nice to have you there to help him get back into that character yeah and also just exploring you know who i think we all watched rogue one and we were like who is this guy what is his backstory where did he come from how did he become this guy mm-hmm. and so to sort of help like paint little scenarios along the way the five years leading up to rogue one what were those moments what were those style points that he might have held on to or those phases that he went through that he then evolved from uh, as from his costumes that was great to think about all of that let's head on over to coruscant uh specifically i want to talk about the icon that is mon mothma i imagine as a costume designer this must have been like the real playground for you uh first i read that you took some inspiration from some of mon mothma's previous appearances then i would just love to hear your overall concept behind the costumes and if you're considering on doing like a mon mothma museum because these pieces are just incredible (laughs) (laughs) you know i was really thrilled uh, at the prospect of working on mon mothma's costumes and and when i met genevieve o'reilly i was even more thrilled because she is such a smart thinker and a really, you know, intuitive and um, I feel like a really inspired actor. So coming up with these costumes with Genevieve was was such a joy. But what I was really interested in is this sort of, again, like a sort of um, like a dual, a duality in her costuming. You know, on the surface, she is this, you know, highly functioning uh, senator in Coruscant that is um, has a very public life. And then, but behind the scenes, she's beginning to funnel her wealth and resources into, you know, the the growing Rebel Alliance. And, and to do that puts her life at great risk. So essentially, I wanted to have costumes that had, again, layers so that, you know, you could show the, the more private side of her, the more public side of her. We thought that her her work clothes should almost feel like armor. It's what she puts on mm-hmm. the tail, the precision of the tailoring, the strength of the lines, the structure of those costumes would kind of feel like what she puts on to hide, you know, the the vulnerability of, of the situation um, that she finds herself in. Um, and just as good, we haven't really discovered Chandrillan culture before on screen. She comes from a planet Chandrilla. And so I had the opportunity to kind of build with the production designer what that culture is. And we we came up with this world of um, 
beautiful sort of sort of subtle neutrals and lots of metallics and um uh an elegant layering of sort of modern um fabrics and shapes um so we started to build up the language of chandrill and culture you can see that in the embassy where she lives you can see that in her clothing in her jewelry um and so that was a real joy to to create that with with the production designer luke hull Wow, it's so beautiful. And I love that you said it's kind of like armor too, because mm. if you look at my favorite costume is the top left one that has the pleated drape over her shoulder. That one is just, yeah. Uh, but if it was like in all black, you would almost see in like Game of Thrones or something too mm -hmm. at the same time. So she is very defensive, but just she puts her own polished spin on everything. So that's exactly, that's exactly it. Well, uh, hopefully in season two, you'll have, um, some um some new things to look at and to think about and uh you know you always have to make sure the season two is even more exciting than season one so the stakes yeah, are very I'm high for us. To that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you'll be hearing from me <laughs> uh all right so let's actually talk about one of my uh favorite episodes it actually takes place on narkina 5 in the prison so when I saw all these costumes, I thought, well, I never thought I would love a prison outfit as much <laughs> as I do now. These are so cool. But I imagine such a challenge because everything is so white. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you still use the elements of a traditional orange jumpsuit, I would say. So what was your process behind these costumes? Was it a challenge? It was a challenge. And I kind of agree with you. I wasn't expecting these episodes to be quite so visually arresting, but I was so pleased how they worked out. I feel the, again, collaborating with the production designer, Luke Hull, we decided this white on white palette would be very powerful and sort of spoke of, you know, the Imperial, the Imperial's designing an environment and clothing, which would be ultimately quite disempowering and disorientating for their prisoners, you know, when there's nowhere to hide in these environments and the clothes are very sterile, impersonal. They're all exactly the same as each other. You know, they, um, they're very disposable. So that sort of says something about how the Imperials see their prisoners in this disposable way. You, um, you wear these uniforms once, you throw them away, you get sterilized, you put another one on for the next day. So we like this sort of sense of, um, dehumanized quality of the prisoner of the prison and then so we found i found this incredible fabric which was a real um joy to work with it was kind of paper-like and mm. had this um very industrial synthetic feel to it um and we found this um, method of like um i knew i wanted this orange flashes on on them so that you know on a practical level the guards would be able to sort of have a flash of to be able to see the prisoners within the environment right and also it gave us a great opportunity to sort of refer to the great you know graphic the graphic design language of star wars with these sort of almost 70s super graphic um designs down the sleeves and down the arm uh, and so I knew that we would be seeing these costumes for lots of episodes on lots of people <laughs> in close-ups. And so every sort of square inch of the costume, hope I was making sure that there was cool things to look at and that it had, it was sort of saying what we needed the costumes to say. Right. It's a lot of pressure with, you know, so much white too in a jumps in a outfit. Yeah. So I'd be a little nervous looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think I made our costumes quite nervous too. We did make <laughs> I think I want to say over 400 white, uh, you know, prisoner scrubs. Wow. We, uh, we were in that set for many weeks. So we had to make sure that everyone looked box fresh. 
Yeah, that that's a big deal. That's hard to do, especially with so many um, replicas. Bix Kaleen is another strong character introduced to the Star Wars universe. She goes through quite a lot in the series, I'd say, and I'm sure she has even more coming down the line. Uh, what was the design process like for her character, knowing she had to fight and run, but also maintain a business? And I think this also is a great moment for us to talk about the breakdown of costumes as well. Mm. Well, working with Adria was um, so interesting. You know, again, very intelligent actress brings a lot to the table, has lots of ideas. And we really wanted her to be a powerful female character. As you say, she ran her own business. She's extremely capable. She's good with tools. She's a practical woman. Uh, and so all of that had to be reflected in her costuming. Um, we The great thing about Star Wars is that every detail matters. So, you know, I know that the fans are going to zoom in on everything, every last detail and uh, <laughs> yeah. enjoy how things are put together. So, you know, it's great as a costume designer to know that your work is going to be um, appreciated on such a level. So with her, for example, we created a um, we created lots of different fabrics for her, for her T-shirting and sort of layered fabrics together. Uh, we did this kind of interesting coat for, that you can see for her in the middle image there that was kind of structured, but kind of we wanted it like a Star Wars Carhartt kind of barn jacket. So we used a lot of the sort of style elements of that, the coloring, the fleece collar, um, but we added all sorts of um, interesting sort of more sci-fi elements. But yeah, Tony wanted it all to feel authentic, workwear. Um, you know, she has a cool suede apron on when she uh, is, when we first meet her, she's kind of doing a repair and then her workwear, yeah, has a sort of really nice, worn in look you mentioned the distressing the breakdown we we have an incredible department of people whose job it is to take things fresh off the table from the workroom and make them feel lived in and authentic and um, worn and have all of those lovely details that all of our human beings clothings um, have when we, when we wear them the the creases and the um the lovely sense of wear so that was a really important for me. And I think maybe Ferrex is the strongest example of that where things all are really um, worn in and um, feel real. Right. I love the detail in her costumes, especially like the vest she's wearing in her workshop. What type of fabrics are those? I mean, most of them are, um, for her, we did use mostly, um, you know, natural fibers, we uh, linens and cottons and um, heavy canvases, some, actually we used, some, oh, okay. I think, synthetic fleece on some of her, the linings of her costumes. But yeah, I think the thing is that natural fibers usually distress and break down the, the best. They really get that sense of wear and tear. Some synthetics don't uh, are really hard to sort of to, to break down. Right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I was really drawn to more, um, more natural fibers for her. <laughs> and then the last question for you, being on Coruscant, there are a lot of different background characters. Yeah. Everyone looks very put together in full detail. As you've mentioned, there is not a moment where we could just, you know, skimp out on a detail. Everything has to be very uh, looked after. So how did you make this happen, especially with Coruscant? I imagine this might be a testament to your brilliant crew. <laughs> well, that's very kind of you. I mean, again, when when we create these worlds and we're thinking about a planet like Coruscant, we want them to feel real and authentic. And in any society, there's so many different types of people doing so many different types of things. So it wasn't just a case of making a hundred of these pairs of pants and a hundred of these jackets and them wearing them in different ways. We right. really, we created hundreds and hundreds of different types 
of clothing pieces, gilets, trousers, jackets, shirts, headwear, um, shoes, accessories. Um, and so when, when you give that sort of individual attention to the pieces, then when you put them together in outfits, they really start to feel you know, authentic and real. But the, the wonderful thing about Coruscant is that it's a sort of, it's, it's a tiered planet. So you have the um, the ultra elite on the top level of the, of the planet, um, which is the world of the, the Senate uh, and Luthen's gallery and that sort of world, um, the embassies. Uh, and then you go further down to the sort of more commuter, sort of corporate level um uh, of of Coruscant, um, and then you, uh, which is where sort of Cyril and Edie live, and then you go right down to the lower levels, which is um, people with less resources. It's much less light, so it's a darker world, and that's where you get all sorts of idiosyncratic people and creatures. Um, and so, yeah, but they all live on the same planet, so you have to have a design language that bridges all of those, so it feels integrated. Um, and yet sort of expresses all of this incredible diversity. So yeah, lots to think about. We <laughs> needed a huge team to carry it all off. I had an incredible team of about 80 people uh, back me up and we just were able to divide and conquer and put lots of love and detail into all of these characters. I love it so much. And with that, you know, Michael, I'm such a fan of your work on Andor. It's such a great project. And I know, you know, you have more coming up, so it's not done yet. But I just want to know, you know, with all the time you've put on this project, what has this project meant to you as a designer, professionally, personally? I think it's been hugely challenging on so many levels. You know, I like to I like to choose jobs because they are challenging and they're going to um, teach me something new. I'm going to try something I've never done before. And I think with Star Wars, it's it's so huge. It's such an ambitious project. You know, we produced 12 episodes. They were all about 50 minutes long. It's kind of like doing three or four super, uh, Star Wars films back to back. Right. And so we did a whole trilogy already. <laughs> I mean, so it's, it's a challenge on so many levels, of course, creatively, but also just like on a uh, you know, on a mental, spiritual, uh, physical level, just having the stamina to come <laughs> to come to work every day, deliver your best, um, do something inspired, you know, be nice to your team, have a good t day at work. To do that, you know, for a year on a huge um, scale where the pressure is so high. I don't know, just when, when the project finished, I was so proud of what we had done as a team. Uh, I, I had sort of proven something to myself just um, individually about like the personal challenge of doing something this huge. Uh, and that was really, really gratifying. I love that. Costume designer Michael Wilkinson, congratulations. And I can't wait to see what's coming up next. Thank you so much, Spencer. Great to talk with you. The Art of Costume Blogcast is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Joy Glass and Spencer Williams. Our audio engineering and editing is done by Dan White. Follow us on Instagram at The Art of Costume Pod or visit theartofcostumeblogcast.com for all blogcast updates. If you want to support the show, go to theartofcostume.com slash podstore. For more costume reviews, deep dives, and interviews, head over to theartofcostume.com, a blog dedicated to highlighting the best in costume design. 